Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series titled Counter Culture as he speaks on what the Bible has to say about your true design and identity as a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Welcome to Impact here this morning. Lord is present here working through his word. As we continue on our counterculture series uh, that we've been in now, I believe this is week seven or eight. I haven't counted, to be honest with you. I just know that the Lord keeps bringing stuff uh, every time I turn around to, uh, to preach on. So it's just a beautiful thing. And what we've been doing is going through specifically what God's word has to say on a lot of issues that face our culture, our society, and even the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century here today where we live. What would Jesus say? How would he respond to a lot of these issues? That's what we've been going through. That's what we've been looking at. So today will be the same because we know Jesus would not just stay silent. He would not. He would not just hush hide behind the bushes like unfortunately so many churches so many pastors have done and we're not speaking out on these topics because the bible has a lot to say on these issues and unfortunately because it's been so silent god's people don't know what it says they don't know how to address it so today we're going to talk about this topic of identity theft because there's a thief out and he's stealing people's identity in the form of sexual identity, of gender identity, and making them questioning the very core of who they are and how God created them. You know, we we look at the term or the, the idea of identity theft, and we know that identity theft is something very prevalent in our society with our finances, with our personal information. And people are constantly hacking in in this electronic technical age trying to to get access to your personal account, to your finances. And in America, roughly 9 million people each year newly have their identity stolen. 15 million people a year have their identity misused for the purpose of using their money, their accounts, to gain access. That accounts for roughly... $50 billion a year annually lost to identity theft. That's a big issue. And we know that. For those of us who have credit cards, who have cell phones, who have all this electronic information today, we go to great extents to protect it, don't we? Because we know there's thieves out there behind the scenes who we can't see, who will never know who they are, that are real and are trying to steal our identity. Guys, the same is no different for you personally. There is a thief, an enemy behind the scenes. His name is Satan, and he is crafty. He is deceptive. He is a counterfeit, and he is trying to steal yours and my identity any way he can. Specifically, one way that he's hit our society in a huge way and in an increasing way now, as we see, is through the idea of gender identity questioning. Transgender, as they call it. So, Today, what does the Bible have to say on this? Because this is a huge issue, a huge topic that we face daily. 
even more specifically in this state, as our liberal democratic governor has issued the whatever bathroom you want to use rule or whatever you want to call it in our schools, it's right up in our face. It's just right there. What would Christ say about this? How are we to deal with this? How can we speak truth in love? So again, we don't just get angry. We don't just get mad. We don't just start yelling and arguing and, and, and just losing our testimony over it. How can we face the culture with truth in love? That's today's message on this topic. Because we know there's an ideology here that's sweeping across the recent culture of America that really like no time before in our nation, is doing now. And that's transgenderism and the LGBTQ lobby. Gender dysphoria or questioning your uh, gender identity is really nothing new. Of course, homosexuality is nothing new. We had that message last week. For those of you who missed it, feel free to go back and check that out. So this is nothing new. But what is new is the full-fledged push now in our society to normalize and educate everyone in this identity, for its approval, for its acceptance. And here's the difference. It's not singling out this or, or homosexuality last week. It's not about that. But I mean, let's just be honest. Nobody's trying to teach your kid in school that it's okay that daddy cheats on mommy every week, right? They're not trying to say, you got to forgive him. He's just made like that and, and it's okay. Nobody's trying to push that on us. We, everybody would agree that is treason all right, in marriage. Even the courts still agree on that, okay? So nobody's trying to teach that. So this topic is a little more upfront in our face than most. So we need to know what the Bible says on it, all right? So basically this idea of, of gender identity, of transgender, inter- tries to introduce a third gender and treat it as a stable, fixed concept, that's been overlooked in past generations in society, especially in America, so now needs to be up at the forefront and not just accepted, but glorified and praised to the point now where even the media, the White House gets behind it, and we call people heroes when they step out and, and, and come forth. And, and even on, on, uh, on the football field, when, when athletes come out and, and the, they get a congratulation call from the White House in years past, and, and the White House gets lit different colors when the Supreme Court made a wrong decision on the definition of marriage. These are apostasies that are happening right before our eyes, guys, that go against the truth of God's word. Unfortunately, we, we just don't know how to deal with it. The church has had so many poor examples on how to deal with all of this. We've got the one side that's just all truth, yelling and, 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 and screaming it because they're so frustrated and mad and you're going to hell. And we've talked about this. And there's, yes, there might be some truth in that from God's word, but there certainly is no love in that. People get a condemnation message out of that. And then the flip coin is the church that just goes silent or even worse, accepts or doesn't call it sin and then lets people believe that they're in a right standing with God when the Bible clearly states otherwise. So they have all love but no truth. So we've seen completely opposite sides of the pendulum, both wrong examples. So where would Christ be with truth and love? That's where he would be because that's what the Bible commands us. So as we face and are in the middle of this continued sexual revolution and sexual freedom and everything that's being pushed and, and on society and on our kids and on our families and even inside the church. 
what would Christ say on this? What does the Bible say? Because Christ would say what the Bible says, all right? He wouldn't, there would be nothing new. He would always go back just as he did on the other sexual topics that we've already addressed. He would go back to what his word says because he and the Father are one. Jesus doesn't somehow miraculously have a different idea on this than what God does because Jesus is God. Go back to John 1, 1 if you don't believe that, all right? So what God's word says is what Christ would say. So what would he say? Because he wouldn't let a thief come in and destroy hearts, lives, families, and a society like this without speaking truth that can set people free. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we come to you again today, Father, asking, Father, for your truth, for your words. Lord, help us to have open hearts, open minds that are receptive to your word. And Lord, that we can know the truth so that we can speak it in love for those of us who you've called to make a stand. Lord, if we call ourselves a follower of Christ, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, Lord, we're all called to stand. We talked about that last week, that we have a a duty to action. So Lord, help us to know your word so we can speak it in truth and in love. And Lord, if there's somebody here at the sound of my voice today online or or in this place, Father, that is struggling with this identity and and they're really wrestling, Father, would, would you give them truth? Would you give them direction? Would you give them hope today and guidance through your word, Father? Lord, that they can cast out the lies of an enemy who wants to deceive and destroy. And Lord, that you give strength, hope, life, love, and purpose to those who diligently seek you. So, Father, I pray that we would all hear your word, be doers of your word, not hearers only, that we would leave here changed, and that somebody may be changed because of your word lived out and presented properly to others with truth and love through us. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go, guys. We're going to go back to the beginning as we have the past few weeks because to set the stage for this, we know that ultimately anything that is going against God in his sexual design, all right, goes back to Genesis because that's where the stage was set. So some of these passages I'm just going to point you to again. We're not going to read in depth and in detail like we have the previous weeks, but I will reference them, point you back to them. You can go back to further study and look at them later. But for the sake of time, we will move through them or else we won't get out of the Old Testament today. I just want to be honest with you, right? I mean, we'll just be there because this has a lot in there, Okay. But what we do want to highlight and point out is that we all know the story of creation. We know Genesis 1, that God created the heavens and the earth. And once he created everything in his perfect design, at the end, the crown, the pinnacle, if you will, of his creation was what? It was man. It was mankind. And the Bible is very clear. Once we get to Genesis 1.27, the Bible says that God created man in his image. Let's look at that verse, verse 27, and read it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Very, very specific verse of Scripture that communicates identity. I want you to see that. Identity is is laced in this creation of God. It is the identity of God 
given inside of man. Therefore, the only thing, the only place that we're really going to find our true identity, you want to truly know who you are, then you have to go back to the beginning. I've done evangelism for like 20 years, and I've always taken the time to go back and snuff out the concept of evolution and and the Big Bang Theory that tries to pull God out of your very existence. Because here's the truth. If you don't know where you came from, it's kind of hard to figure out where you're supposed to go, isn't it? And that's the truth. So, same is true with our sexual identity. Our very identity of our life is laced in God. Very clear that We're the only creation that's given the image of God. I want you to get that. Not an animal, not a tree, like the tree huggers want to think God is in a tree. No, he's not. He created the tree, but he's not in the tree, dummy. All right? He put his image in mankind, okay? There is. What does that mean to us? That means, yeah, we know God created everything else. There's a cow that chooses cut in a field. We live in the county. We see plenty of cows, and they just sit there. And they're totally cool with that. That's what they're created to do. You give a dog a bone, he can sit there and chew all day long. That's what God created them to do. But you and I were created in the image of God, so what in the world does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. That means the only place that you and I are ever going to find what we're looking for is to be in complete and total presence of God and walk with him. That's it. Outside of that, by searching for, for love in all the wrong places... It's going to mess you up. It's going to take you down a path of destruction because it's away from God and who he created you to be. You're created, I'm created in the image of God. Plus, we see this very specific idea of he created the male and female. So there's identity in that. It's not just talking about the biological sex and and, and the outside formation, male and female. He's pointing to identity. I want you to get that. It's who you are. If you are female, God created and specifically designed you to be female in all the characteristics and wonder and splendor that it entails. And praise God, he didn't give man the same duties in childbirth that he gave you. Right? We can't even handle a cold. How are we going to do that? Man, so... Yeah, so here we go. So there's specific, right? So there's specific things that God created male and female to do. And what do we learn there from last week in the past couple weeks? They complement each other. They provide oneness. Remember, the two will become one flesh. That's the beautifulness of being male and female is the completeness that God designed even in identity. Not, it goes beyond biology. It's about your identity. So let's get that from the start that this was laced into the very first creation, this concept of sexual gender identity. It's God's plan, God's design. That's why evolution spits in the face of creation because it goes against God's very perfect design. Thinking that gases or meteorites collided one day an explosion created all this. And what, man, what, 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 a, what a catastrophe. Because I can tell you anything and everything that ever has a design has a designer. Everything that ever has and looks like it has a plan has a planner. And you have design and plan written all over your life. Nobody can replicate you. Nobody can start from scratch and recreate a human being. That's impossible. Only God can do that. And definitely an explosion can't do that. That's like thinking you set a bomb off in a junkyard and once the dust clears and everything, it's going to be a, a car lot of brand new vehicles. I mean, seriously, but that, that's the concept 
of evolution into Big Bang Theory. That something perfect with design and order and plan was constructed out of chaos. Not true. Not true. God's design is beautiful and perfect, including identity in the gender that you were created to be right now, that you have, that you exist. So we know this creation was set to be equal but distinct, all right? So it's not one trying to dominate over the other. That's not how it should be. Of course, there's a a plan and a design that God put in place with the man to be the spiritual head of the household, all right? And so we see that this even gets messed up. It wasn't like when God first brought Eve to Adam and he was like, oh, good, finally, I, I get somebody I can boss around now. That wasn't it. What did he say? It was like, wow, it was bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. He knew that this was completing him, that this was a necessary design from God to complete everything that God created Adam to even be, the beautifulness of God's creation, not to be overstepped like a doormat and trounced upon. So we see from this passage, sex, gender was fixed. It's not fluid. I want you to keep that concept. Fixed, not fluid, because today's worldview says it's fluid. It can change depending on your feelings and who you think you are and as you age and as you really uh, search out and explore who you are in the world, that your idea and concept of who you are can change back and forth. But this was not in creation, that it was fixed, it was designed with a plan and a purpose. So that means if this is God's design, plan, and purpose, that means if we have the body of a man but we choose to not live as a man, it's disobedience to God. First and foremost, if we have the body of a woman and choose not to live as that of the identity of a woman, then we disobey God. It's plain and simple. So here's the thing, though. I want you to get this. So for those of you that may be struggling with this, it's not like you set out one day and say, what's the thing that I can do to really disobey God in my life? What can I do to really just trounce upon everything of who he is and who he created? And it wasn't that. It started with deception. It started with something going wrong, either somebody treating you adversely, a mom, a dad, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, society, people at school, something, or just society as a whole through deception and false doctrine and false teaching, starting to change and make you question the identity that God placed inside you. That's where it started. It didn't start with an all-out rebellion of you wanting to go against God. So please don't get that condemnation message. Get the conviction and the knowledge of the truth to know who's behind this, trying to steal your identity and destroy your life. That's what this is about. Who would be that one? Your enemy. John 10.10, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan. We learned about him in 1 Peter 5.8, and we don't need to hash all that back out, but it gives the perfect picture of his attack, that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. The lion gets in the ditch behind the bushes and sneaks up on its prey where the prey doesn't even know it's coming until it's so close it pounces and destroys its life. That is the visual picture that God gives you of the enemy that's behind the scenes doing all this to you. So I want you to know who's behind it. I want you to know that the consequences of it There's truth in that, but I want you to know how you can be set free from it, and that's the picture that God wants to give. 
You see, we see this while we're in Genesis. We see that, yes, there's an enemy. There's one who's trying to destroy. So we know that this all goes back to the fall. All right, this isn't how God designed his creation to be, to have questions of their identity and questions of their sexuality and to deviate from his plan, whether heterosexually or homosexually. That wasn't God's plan. There was an enemy that came in and jacked it all up. And we go back to Genesis 3, and you can get that account. Again, I'm not going to read in detail, but you know the story. That once Adam and Eve took upon the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that sin entered the world. And who deceived them? The serpent, Satan. So I want you to see that this attack that we all face today with sexual sin of any kind, and specifically with gender identity and stuff that we're talking about today, is the same attack that was set upon God and his creation with Adam and Eve. He said, Brad, what are you talking about? Let's look at it. When you look back at this attack of Satan on the enemy, of our enemy on Adam and Eve, what did he do? He attacked God's character, who God really is. Does he really have your best interests in mind? He attacked God's word. Did God really say? Are you sure that's true? He attacked God's creation. He entered a serpent who God created and then is attacking his creation, his pinnacle of creation, mankind, like we already talked about. And he attacked his design. What are you talking about, Brad? Who did Satan go to first? Eve. The Bible's very clear and alludes to the fact that Adam just went off using the bathroom somewhere, all right? He was right there with her. But who did the serpent go to? Eve. Who did God design to be the head of the family spiritually on spiritual decisions like this should have been made? The man. So he undergoes and undercuts God's very design. He knows what he's doing because he knows God's word and how he, treat, and, and how he created it. So he undermines it and goes to the wrong person first. And then, first example of Adam being right there in weak leadership, weak male leadership, But because he, he doesn't say a word. He just sits there and watches her do it, and then he takes of it himself. So you see the attack of God's design. Plus, they had authority over the beasts of the field and the animals, right? So Adam or, or even Eve could have stepped in all of a sudden and be like, man, get out of here. Kick that thing out of here or pick up that serpent because there's no pain, right? There ain't sins yet. They just been tempted. Remember that blessing? They just been tempted. They could have picked that dude up, broke him in half, threw him over their shoulders, like get behind me, Satan. And it's over. And that's what we need to do because we get tempted and we don't do it. We coddle him and, and listen to him too. When all we need to do through the power and authority of Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus through the blood of the cross, is put him under your heel and get him out of your life. So we can't go bad on Adam and Eve because we do the same thing. We fall for the same traps. Different ways, but the same old story. So this sexual sin attack is an attack of the same. It's an attack of God's character. It's an attack of God's word. Is it true? It's an attack of God's creation. Our bodies were the temple of God. And it's an attack of God's design. The identity that he's placed in there. Can you see it? Plain and simple. It's a Genesis issue. It's an origins issue, plain and simple. We know that 
biologically, we're created male and female as well. And here's the point. With transgender folks, they try to correct as much of the physical attributes as they can to try to match what they feel on the inside. So they try to overdo the the biological makeup to match the feelings in their mind and heart. All right? Here's the thing, though. Because God created you with an identity, you, no matter how much you try, can never stop being male or female. That cannot be changed by hands. Biologically, it can. Identity-wise, it cannot. So there's always going to be a struggle against who you think you are, who Satan has deceived you to think you are versus who you really are. And it causes depression. It causes anxiety. It causes stress. It causes a person to feel like they're all by themselves in a world. So they're just so quick to run to somebody who's going to accept them so they can be a part of something because they're struggling inside against who God really created them to be. Statistics prove that. Statistics prove that. We already showed some of the statistics from last week with homosexuality, so I don't have to re-go back through them. But 75% of people who identify as transgender identify as homosexual. So we saw the, the, the statistics of depression and anxiety and, and hopelessness and suicide. And specifically with transgender, depending on where you see statistics, it's anywhere from 10 to 20 times higher the suicide rate of a transgender person compared to normal. It's a struggle in here because you can't really get rid of who God created you to be. The enemy's trying to rip you apart and destroy you with it, though, and he's doing such a great job. So biologically, we know our sex is determined by God and even our physical characteristics through DNA. You either have a a XX chromosome or an XY, all right? That's it. There's no Z in there, okay? There's nothing else. That's all you get. So it's either male or female. And that's even hardwired, like we talked about in Genesis, even into our identity. So we can remove body parts and and try to use pharmaceuticals to suppress unnaturally our biological and chemical makeup. But the essence and the reality of being male and female will never change in you or in me, no matter how hard we want to push against it. But... This gender identity, transgender issue tries to make the distinction that my biological sex and my gender identity are different, all right? That I really, I am who I feel like I am, not who it looks like I should be. And that's a lot of the issue and the problem. Going against God's design. So essentially it's choosing psychology over biology. It's choosing experience, if you will, to supersede the essence of creation and authentic identity. And this is all stemming out of postmodernism, coming out of uh, romanticism and existentialism that says you are what you feel. Does that sound familiar? Boy, that's a big one today. Be the best you you can be. You are who you think you are. Be the best you. You are what you feel you are. Thus... It says experience reigns supreme. It says that your truth reigns supreme over the truth. That you don't have to listen to this, God's word, 
because you feel different. Therefore, if you still want to believe in Jesus and you still want to have a, a relationship with God, this is where Satan gets into the church and twists it and says, well, you can do that because you believe in Jesus and, and he's full of grace, mercy, and love anyway, so you can still do this and have Jesus too. And there's a deception there where people get the thinking that they're okay in the eyes of God when they're not. And it's fueled and filtered by false teachers in the pulpit who themselves, if they don't get it right, are going to have to answer before a holy God, and they may not have their heart right. And Matthew 7, 21 through 23 clearly states that many, not a few, many of the people in the pulpits of today are going straight to hell because they truly don't know Jesus and don't want to preach the truth of his word. I didn't expect to get applause on that, but that's God's word, not mine. That's scary stuff. That's scary stuff. Very scary. God doesn't just listen to who we say we are. He watches what we do. It's in our heart because in our, what it's in our heart comes out in how we live our life. When Christ is truly in there, he points us in the direction of righteousness, of truth, so that people see Christ in us. So gender identity is an, an internal identity that gets expressed externally, all right? And that's where God wants to point us in the right direction with this, okay? So what does the Bible have to say about it? Let's move along. We know that we have a, a worldview a world that says gender is not fixed now, and it's not formed, but rather it is fluid and formless. That means it can change. It's not rigid, and it depends on who you, you think you are. A uh, Medical News Today journal in 2020 said these words, all right, for gender uh, identity activists and transgender activists. These are their words. Gender is different than sex. Although genetic factors typically define a person's sex, gender refers to how they identify on the inside. Only the person themselves can determine what their gender identity is. Pretty scary, isn't it? Going back straight to feelings comes out of humanism and paganism. Humanism states that man is the measure of all things. Remember that whole concept that how we started the series with absolute versus relative truth? Remember that? That's why we did that. That's why God led us there because it affects every single subject, every single thing that we talk about in this whole entire series. Every single thing that you face on a daily basis comes back to what you believe about God's word and what you don't and what you choose to believe about yourself over God's word. Many people take it and run different directions. We're just hitting one direction here today. We talked about 1 Corinthians 6 last week. It wasn't just a couple things there. It wasn't just one thing. It was many. So this humanistic idea is basically a blank slate philosophy that says nothing is really written into your life, so there's no accountability except just to be true to yourself. And that's why with this blank slate philosophy, you see the new concept now being pushed out that, that we should not um, tag a child at birth as whether they're male or female yet on the birth certificate. That's happening, guys, because of the quietness of the church, because we don't have the guts to stand on truth anymore. And you say, well, why is it the church's fault? Because we've been so silent for way too long. And it has let a society and let Satan in our society run rampant. And he's deceiving and he's destroying. And people are in chaos and they don't even know it. 
because to have this concept is really a jail sentence. Because like we said before, if you don't know who you are, where you came from, it's going to be really hard to figure out where you're going. You're going to be confused. You're going to be lost. And you see that in this gender fluidity concept that says that your biological sex and gender can be different. Because it's not just a third gender identity. It's not just male, female, and then transgender. Man, if you look at the statistics, it was, I mean, the information was scary. There's like over 70 different options of how you can be anything but male or female. Over 70. You have to have a degree in that stuff to know what's going on. I'd be confused. How can you do that? What is this? Do you have to read up on this and see who you really are? I mean, this is unbelievable, guys. The, to the degree, it just shows that when a man or a woman chooses to not believe in God, they will go any direction and believe in anything and fall for anything. What's the biblical view? Male and female, we already showed it through Genesis, that it's biological and it's gender identified. We showed that in Genesis. But the Bible goes deeper. What, what else does the Bible have to say about this? There's a lot, actually. And that's where we want to try to roll through this as best I can. We know Mark chapter 10, Jesus himself identified again through the concept of marriage and, and family what this looks like. That he again quoted from back in Genesis about male and female, this biological and gender identity togetherness. All right, where the two become one and they complement each other in marriage. So again, Jesus' understanding of human sexuality was rooted in the Old Testament in Genesis. Why? Because Jesus is God. Jesus is the author of Genesis, just like he is the author of the red letters in the New Testament. You have to get that, church. You have to understand and believe that. Again, though, like we taught last week, Yes, there's some stuff through Levitical law, Mosaic law. There's different kinds of laws that were put forth. There's moral law, ceremonial law, and civil law, all right? The civil law and the ceremonial law were not all meant to transfer from generation to generation. Those were specific to those times. Those are the ones like if somebody cheats on somebody or whatever, you got to kill them. Praise God we ain't there no more, right? Praise God, all that wrath fell on Jesus at the cross, okay, for right now. But the wrath will come back for those who don't accept Christ as their Savior and are covered in the blood, all right, when, on the return. So, but the moral law transcends time. We pointed that out, how, how even Jesus himself and, and how Paul went back and referenced Ten Commandments and, and all those moral laws, how they still remain. All right, so we have to get that concept before we move forward. Jesus even rooted his understanding in biology of sex and sexual identity in that. The Bible condemns gender crossing practices. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, if you have a copy of God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. And you say, hold up, Brad, we're going back old school, Old Testament again. Remember what I just said? There's some moral constructs and moral laws that transcend every culture, okay? This is another moral one. Why? Because I want to show you. The Bible says, a woman shall not wear anything that, per that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? 
And this is specifically talking about gender identity. This has nothing to do with biological sex of male and female. It has everything to do with womanhood and manhood and your identity in that. Can you see that? Now, some people will go off on a, on a stupid tangent with this. All these legalistic preachers say, that's why a woman shouldn't wear pants. Shut up. That's not what it says. Come on, man. Anyway, that's a different message for another day. We got to keep going. But it says it's an abomination. I want you to see that. It is a moral law broken. Moral law transcends cultures. An abomination to God never changes. Never. It is an abomination. Even just to cross-dress, to even try to identify or look like the opposite sex. Why? Because it goes against who God created you to be. We know Matthew 19, Jesus again speaking, his understanding of of sexuality and gender coming through that. So we won't uh, repeat that. You can go back and look there. I want to bring up 1 Corinthians so we can move along. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go New Testament if you don't like Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 13 through 16. Paul here speaking to the church at Corinth. Let's get the context. Let's get the background first. It's so important. Who was the church at Corinth? A body of believers, a church Paul had, had founded, a, a church that Paul had founded and planted that were being deceived, where pagan culture had come in and started to have false teaching, false doctrine, and pagan ways were coming into the church and being accepted on all types of sexuality. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and read that again, what we read last week, okay? All right? So now he has this period here where he's coming in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 and 16. So let's read that real quick. If you have it, I don't. I forgot to turn to it while the fan was blowing my pages around here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 16 says this, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Why did you bring this passage up, Brad? Because it's talking specifically to gender identity. Yes, there's a deal in here with hair length, and I'm going to tell you that's a big theological debate, and it divides people and churches, that's not where God's leading us in this passage today. Simply stated, there is a difference in the gender identity between a man and a woman, and God says himself right here, doesn't even nature itself teach you? Gender identity. It goes against the very construct and nature of how God created and ordained things. There's a difference between man and a woman, and it should be that way. And God created it that way for a purpose and a reason. It's a beautiful picture of God's word. Don't you just love how the Bible speaks one voice? Whether you go from Old Testament to New Testament, it's all saying the same thing. It never contradicts itself. It's beautiful. So we have now sound biblical doctrine that we can go and point to when we speak truth and love. We don't have to argue and fight and fuss and yell. It's right there in God's word to present. That doesn't mean that the other person won't get mad or angry and leave. You can't control them. All you can do is control you. So don't you dare ever get angry, yell, or argumentative when you go to somebody and discuss God's word. Please don't ever do that. Please. Please don't. 
Present the truth in love. Care about the person. Go, take them to lunch. Invite them somewhere. Show that you care and love them. Please don't ever just beat them over the head with the Bible and leave. There's nothing in that. Show that you care because if you don't care, they don't care what you have to say. But if you truly care about the soul and the person, and yes, we're going to talk about that in just a second. We have to make a stand, but we have to do it with truth. Francis Schaeffer said in a writing that he had through his moral construct back in the 80s, he said this. He says, Christians in the last 80 years or so have only been seeing things as bits and pieces which have gradually begun to trouble them and others instead of understanding that they are the natural outcome of a change from a Christian worldview to a humanistic one. That they're the natural outcome of it. Because we're not standing on truth. Let's read further. This is what he says, quote, Things such as over-permissiveness, you can be and do what you want, God doesn't care. Pornography, the problem of the public schools, the breakdown of the family, abortion, which is next week, infanticide, the killing of newborn babies, infanticide, increased emphasis upon euthanasia of the old and many, many other things. All of these things and many more are the results of this humanistic theology. We may be troubled with the individual thing, but in reality we are missing the whole thing if we do not see that each of these things and many more are only symptoms of a deeper problem. It's the thief. It's the symptoms. We get so worried about fighting the transgender and this and fighting against homosexuality and fighting against heterosexual sin. It's the construct of a thief behind the scenes that's changing the whole construct of our society. That's where we're missing the whole thing, he says. He continues, and that is the change in our society, a change in our country, a change in the Western world from Judeo-Christian consensus to a humanistic one. I want to say to you, those of you who are Christians, or even if you are not a Christian, and you are troubled about the direction that our society is going in, that we must not concentrate merely on the bits and pieces, but we must understand that all of these dilemmas come on the basis of moving from the Judeo-Christian worldview that the final reality is an, an, is an infinite creator God over to this other reality, which is that the final reality is only energy or material in some mixture or form which has existed forever and which has taken its present shape by pure chance. Guys, we got to see the enemy behind the scenes is what he's saying. It's not just a battle against issues. It's a battle against a construct of a whole worldview changing from a biblical worldview to a humanistic worldview. The Bible is very clear in as Paul talked to Timothy, that that would be the characteristic of the end times, that people would be lovers of themselves. That's humanism. It's right there, that they would have a form of godliness but deny its power. They would be in church. They would think they know Jesus, but they live like the world, and they're caught up in sin and heading for a place called hell where God doesn't want them to go there because he needs somebody to stand on the truth and present it in love so that, yes, you can be convicted and turn from the destruction that awaits. That's what God wants. What's Satan's plan? Satan's plan, plain and simple, is paganism and humanism. 
to replace the wisdom of God with a new order in an an alternate reality. In Satan's new reality, there's no creator, there's no divine design, there's no male or female, there's no script for your sexuality, there's no God-designed family or a father and mother and children. Family can be whatever you make it and want it to be. There's no need to protect your children in the womb or out of the womb because they're just a bunch of cells anyway. And you, can't even, you shouldn't even protect them out of the womb now as we've seen some of the, 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 the liberal politicians come forth and say, well, we'll just put them on a table and keep them comfortable till you decide what you want to do. How sick and barbaric can a person be? Very, if God's not there. We're seeing that played out. So that should affect how you vote, church, should affect everything you do. God says, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. That includes your opportunity to be salt and light when you cast your votes in November. Make no mistake, that'll be a message down the road as well. So we see Satan's plan and order is to exalt self over Jesus as Savior. Therefore, there is no theistic end or existence, which means that there really is going to be no judgment on evil. That's his plan, to make you miss out on the truth of God's word and that everything's okay. And then his plan is also to get people to buy into this and to downplay and refute the absolute truth and the hard-founded morality of God's word and to push people toward an existence that's going to destroy. Change of view. That's his goal. So the Bible clearly addresses all this. We've seen it plain. And very simple, all right? It goes back to origins and understanding of God's creation. So for us, we need to stand, all right, and not accept or applaud sin. There's the other thing. You say, well, Brad, this doesn't affect me, man. I don't don't deal with, with all this stuff. Do you support those who do? You say, hold up, where's the Bible say that? I can't, I can't support them and say it's okay for them to do what they want to do. Just let me do me and they can do them and, and I'll just support them that way. You can't do that? Turn to Romans 1. Very plain in Scripture. Romans chapter 1 that we're going to look at. Go to the end for the sake of time. The end of chapter 1. I want to read verses 28 through 32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Talking about things who do evil practice and sinful, even referenced homosexuality in the beginning of the passage. To do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, see the long list again, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of, highlight this, inventors of evil things. Inventors of evil things. Hormone replacement therapy and biological surgeries for sex change are inventors of evil things. I want you to get that right there. It's pointing it out plain and simple. Disobedient to parents undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Okay, we got that, Paul. We know that. Here's what I want you to highlight. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Drop that mic. 
If you approve of those who practice them, you are just as guilty, God says, as if you do it. Because you've been deceived. You're not standing on truth, is what the Bible says. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. Even approving goes back to even how we vote. Are we putting people in office that are writing these immoral constructs and laws and to kill babies sitting on a table now? We got to watch how we do things, guys, plain and simple. I am, I, I'm not trying to be a political guy. I'm not a political guy. I hate politics. I don't know nothing about politics. But when morality starts to seep in, that's very clear on biblical issues. I know Jesus wants you and I to be salt and light and stand on the issues like he would have us do according to his word. Forget economy. Forget who you like because it's pick your favorite idiot nowadays anyway. So vote according to the issues of God's word. Then you can say, I even did this and brought glory to God as best I could to be salt and light in my community and in my life. It's there. When all this morality starts to seep in, you better believe we better start talking about it. Because again, the church has been silent for way too long. Way too long. So as we look to close, we know we need to speak the truth in love, plain and simple. Plain and simple. Yes, we know something's wrong when we face somebody and, and address them, but we need to know what the Bible says so we can, again, bring it gracefully have a relationship with that person to some extent where we're connected in such a way that God can use us when we speak the truth. Very simple. And we can relate to it, all right? So the compassion and care is never severed from the truth. It cannot be because passion, compassion, and care is the truth. And truth is compassion and care. We see this in Titus 2. Again, not time to go through, but the Bible is very clear that the church needs to have men and women who come alongside younger men and women and teach them about the truth of God's word to mentor them in the truth. Because here it is, God's grace, and even Titus 2 goes into this, is transformative. That his grace is free, but it's not cheap, all right? God's grace is a transformative grace. It's so much better than just a grace that just you can do anything you like and do what you want and God's okay with it. It's better than that because his grace comes to us in our repentant heart and it says, yes, you're not what you should be, all of you, but I'm going to change you and transform you from the inside out. I'm going to give you, Ezekiel says, a new heart and put my spirit in you and give you a desire to follow my word. That's the Bible. That's what God does through his grace and mercy. That's saving grace, Titus 2 says. That's the grace of salvation that transforms you and changes you and moves you toward holiness and righteousness. That's it. It's right there in the Bible. To close completely, Psalms 139. I want you to see this. Psalms 139, verses 13 through 16. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, the word of God says this. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, 
for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet they were none of them. There were none of them. Guys, do you see the detail of who you are and God's, who God's created you to be? From, the, from Genesis all the way through into the New Testament, and then God's call right here in Psalm, he said, you formed my inward parts. Can we hear that message today? What does that mean? He formed my guts? Mm-mm. He formed your identity. He formed who you are. At the very core, yes, he made all your external parts as well, but he made your inward parts. And he fastened your days before you even lived one of them out. He has them written in his book. Why would you go against the plan of the master designer who has your best in mind and fall for a lie that's going to destroy? He formed you. He knows you. He created you. But there's an enemy that's trying to steal it. It's the oldest play in the book. It's trying to make you doubt the character of God. It's trying to make you doubt the word of God. It's trying to make you doubt his creation, who he created you to be. And he's trying to make you doubt the design he has for who you are in your life. Don't let the enemy win. Church, don't let the enemy run rampant in our society. Let's learn how to speak the truth in love. Bring light, not heat, to a very, very sensitive topic that's all around us right now. So that the grace, the salvation grace, Titus 2 says, that transform lives can be received by those who so desperately are searching and need it. That's truth in love. But the question is, Will we live it and will we speak it? The cause is the fall of Adam. The cure is the cross of Christ. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If you're here today, first and foremost, and you've never received this life-transforming grace that we've talked about, Maybe somebody lied to you in the past and said that, that grace is free, which is true, but that means because it's free, you don't have to do any, it, it, you, there, there has to be no transforming afterwards. You can just continue down the same road you're on. That's, that's not the truth of God's word. You see, you don't have to do anything to earn this grace. Nothing at all. You just come freely to the cross, Romans 5, 8 says, that while we're still in our sin, Christ died for us. So we don't have to clean it up first. We just come to him. But then if we've truly come to him with repentance, God changes us through his power of his spirit and the truth of his word. And he does the work of cleaning us up. Have you experienced that in life? And the Bible says when you truly have that, you're set free. Do you have that? If not, 
right now today, receive it. Christ wants to give it to you right at the foot of the cross. Everything you've ever been searching for, everything you've ever been looking for, you may be in here, you may be in your car, you may be in your living room at home. Would you right now bow your head, cry out to a holy God in repentance and say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior right now. Pray this prayer from your heart to God's heart. Or if you want to rededicate your life to him and come running back to him because maybe you've been taken off the path and today you want to come running back, pray this same prayer from your heart to God's heart. Dear Lord, I need you right now. I've fallen short of your glory in so many ways. I've been deceived by an enemy, by a culture that's falling fast away from you. And today I want to come running back. Lord, I'm, try, I'm tired of trying to do life on my own because I'm empty inside and I'm searching. And Lord, I know you're the only one that's going to fill me. So right now I come to you with a repentant heart and I'm asking you to change me from the inside out. Thank you for your redeeming grace and mercy, Lord for sending your son to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, the penalty that was due me, he took upon himself so that now I can walk away free because of what he did, that I can be redeemed, restored, renewed. Thank you for that forgiveness of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And Lord, now as such, I wanna walk in victory so the same victory that you used and the same power that you used to raise Christ from the grave, I know is in me. So I don't have to be a slave to my sin anymore. Yes, I may struggle. Yes, I may fight with temptation on the inside of, of gender identity, of, of sexual preferences and whatnot. I, that may be a fight for a long time in my mind. But Lord, give me the strength to resist that temptation, to not give in anymore, to choose you over myself and Lord, the Bible's very clear. When we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us. So Lord, I claim that promise right now because I need the devil off my back. And I surrender my life to you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer right now, you meant business with God, you received him for the first time, or you rededicated your life back wholly, completely to him. Would you just unashamed raise your hand and say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I'm in business with God today. I'm running back to the cross. Amen. In church, let's go ahead and give Jesus a big round of applause. The Lord is at work through his word. And I hope again we've been taught by the Lord in his word of just what he has to say on another very sensitive issue. Because it's in there. There's truth. So now we can go present it in love so that Christ, through his word, can set the captives free. That's what it's all about. Let's go take this word. Let's speak truth in love and make an impact for Jesus. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, Please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.